get serious, finally, about one of the great crises that this country is enduring right now. It is very, very difficult to hear about the latest concerning the debt ceiling and the need to raise the debt ceiling to prevent some kind of economic catastrophe. It's difficult to hear all of that and not feel contempt for all of these people who simply cannot reach agreement on something that they need to reach agreement on or it's going to have a terrible impact on you and me and everybody else out there who tries to earn a living and pay taxes and pay your mortgages and uh, deal with an economy that isn't collapsing. This is insane. And it's it's stupid beyond belief. They're just now getting together for only their second debt ceiling meeting. And, uh, and, and meanwhile, the president is uh, planning to jet off to Asia. And why? Because there's a G7 meeting. It's very important. Can I tell you something? It is truly, truly uh, completely blind to what the proper priority is. Uh, if uh, the president has to uh, say, excuse me, I can't make it for this very important G7 meeting or I'll have to connect with Zoom or something like that because I need to stay in the White House and negotiate with Speaker McCarthy and with Leader McConnell and other people, the other party. We have a two-party system in the United States. Uh, Joe Biden is not a dictator. He is a president in a constitutional republic. How do we keep that republic? Somebody who's been writing about that for a very long time and a very effective time, George Will, the uh, extraordinarily distinguished and perceptive conservative columnist is going to be joining us about uh, shaking up today's stagnant party duopoly. And by the way, no better illustration of it than this situation with the debt ceiling. And uh, just ahead of the second debt ceiling meeting, uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell signaled that he is still backing the House GOP. He is backing his own party, not the President of the United States. On what issue? On this fundamental issue that, for God's sake, you've got to raise the debt ceiling, and that means you're going to have to compromise. There needs to be some spending caps. There needs to be some permitting reform they're talking about. There needs to be something where uh, the Republicans do what uh, other Republicans have done, as the Republicans did working with Joe Biden in 2011. They had a similar crisis like this, but they worked through it without this idiot refusal uh, of the President of the United States to participate in anything other than what he calls a clean debt ceiling rise. Here is uh, Senator McConnell speaking on the Senate floor. This is uh, the same day because they're going into their meeting right now at the White House. This is Senator McConnell speaking on the Senate floor about where he stands. Clip 19. I saw the American people sent a divided government to Washington. They chose to require that President Biden work with House Republicans on the most consequential issues. 
Now, the president has to make a choice of his own. Pretend the last election didn't happen, or sit down with the speaker and deal responsibly with our nation's debt. Time is at the essence of the essence. So for the second time, I'll be glad to sit in at the White House to support Speaker McCarthy and to urge President Biden to start operating in reality. And the reality is it, it, the Republicans with what they passed in the House of Representatives, of course they know they're not going to get all of that. That's not going to all be approved by the Senate and signed by the president. But they need to get something. And uh, other than that, uh, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, uh, actually spoke, I think, very effectively uh, trying to get the attention and partially trying to get the attention of her own boss who uh, who needs to come back to reality and forget about the foreign negotiations right now and focus on this. We have 16 days before June 1st, and it could actually be a couple of days before June 1st that they uh, they hit the default button and disaster happens. Here is uh, Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen, clip seven, 17. What global markets and American households and businesses need to see is that we have a Congress that's committed um, to paying the bills that we've incurred as a consequence of our legislation, that we're not a deadbeat country. Mm -hmm. And if Congress fails to do that, it really impairs our credit rating. We have to default on some obligation, whether it's treasuries or payments to Social Security recipients. Um, that's something America hasn't done since 1789, and we shouldn't start now. So um, we've not discussed what to do um, if that doesn't occur with the president. Our focus is on getting it done. Okay. The, the the she says it hasn't happened since 1789 what happened in 1789 the united states government began one of the reasons that they held a constitutional convention and they all came together to replace the articles of confederation with a working constitution which has worked pretty wonderfully for the last going on uh, 300 years one of the reasons they they did all of that is because they were having a trouble paying off debts. And it was very clear, and it's something that certainly Hamilton understood as our first Treasury Secretary. So since 1789, which is when George Washington took the oath of office as the first president, and they established this government, we haven't defaulted. We have paid our debts. We have paid the money that was been promised and authorized. And the fact is that the Congress, and yes, the Congress had a slightly different makeup when they passed uh, these various appropriations. Congress has already authorized this money. And uh, here's the sad mention by Kevin McCarthy going into this meeting. He's worried about the other side and what they really want. Clip one. I don't think it's far apart. Uh, it doesn't seem to be that they wanted. 
just seems that they want to look like they're in a meeting, but they're not. They're not talking anything serious. And in the meantime, we just watched the CBO come out and say we're a hundred billion dollars further in debt. And so, uh, do you? Seems more like they want to default than a deal. It seems to me more like they want to default than a deal. Uh, I I know that's a political jibe. Uh, Maybe the president can change at least the atmosphere for these negotiations uh, by actually rescheduling his trip to Asia. One thing that he can't reschedule is the looming presidential election, uh, where uh, the some of the news actually is being made by Mike Pence, who is uh, planning to launch a very different campaign than p- most people do. There's also two Republican subcommittee chairs uh, on the House Homeland Security Committee that are holding a, a joint hearing about American law enforcement. Why are so many cops leaving the ranks and what do we do to recruit more of them? We'll talk about that and much more with George Will coming up in a little while here on the Medved Show. on U.S. obligations would produce an economic and financial catastrophe. Millions of Americans could lose their jobs, and it would spark a global downturn that would set us back much further. That, of course, is the uh, Treasury Secretary of the United States, Janet Yellen, former head of the Federal Reserve. Uh, It is extraordinary what is going on in Washington right now, uh, given the fact that uh, as they were going into a meeting, the press couldn't even get together. Do do we have any of that sound, Jeremy? Because it's just, it's chaotic. Uh, to an extent that that is not not even typical of a chaotic and divided and dysfunctional Congress. Uh, speaking of a chaotic, divided, and dysfunctional Congress, there's also an attempt now by Democrats, uh, and it's extraordinary. Democrats led by Elizabeth Warren. Oh, okay, yeah, this is uh, what it sounded like when they were trying to get some answers about where we where we uh, where we stand uh, in terms of the, um, the the supposedly the assistance to a number of senators and congressmen have been meeting to try to figure out what are the terms of a potential compromise agreement. So the press was trying to find out something about that, and it sounded like this. Guys, we gotta go. They gotta have their meeting. Thank you. 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 Thank you.
Representative Gerald Nadler uh, of New York, Hank Johnson of Georgia, uh, Corey Bush of Missouri, and Adam Schiff, remember him, of California. He's running for Senate. Uh, they all held a press conference for the Judiciary Act, which is uh, honestly the most direct assault on the Supreme Court of the United States since 1937. It's a long time. Uh, I mean, <laughs> 1937, yes, that's when President Roosevelt made the terrible mistake. And even that president, who was elected four times to be president of the United States, didn't get to serve much of his fourth term, but he, he was elected to it. Uh, Roosevelt had this court-packing idea because he didn't like the way the Supreme Court was ruling, so he thought, let's add a bunch of justices. The uh, Judiciary Act that Ed Markey of Massachusetts uh, held a press conference for this morning is uh, designed to expand the U.S. Supreme Court. What does that mean? It means that it would go from having nine justices who have all been uh, selected by various presidents, uh, three of them selected by Democratic presidents, six of them selected by Republican presidents. But that's because of the people who were president at the time that, that those vacancies came into being. And all of these justices in the Supreme Court have been confirmed by the U.S. Senate with a majority vote of the U.S. Senate. Okay, so now they want to expand the court from nine justices to uh, 13. Uh, they would add four new justices to uh, set up a situation where it would be then seven Democratic appointees and uh, seven, uh, and then, uh, what is it, six Republican appointees, because they're adding four seats to the Supreme Court. And uh, it's not only that, but Senator Markey of Massachusetts, who is, by the way, the co-author with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of the Green New Deal, uh, this extremely liberal senator from Massachusetts uh, also wants a particular justice to resign to give Joe Biden more than just the four new appointments. Listen, this is clip 11. Uh, justice Thomas uh, should resign from the Supreme Court of the United States. We have to remind him, we have to remind him that we have a system of constitutional checks and balances, not checks for balances. That is what we must now fight to ensure happens in our country. The court has put all these rights of all Americans, but especially those of people of color, women, immigrants, and LGBTQ rural and low-income communities at risk. But when something is broken, we don't just agonize, we organize. We don't have the luxury of waiting to see if the court will issue radical partisan rulings that shift the foundations of freedom under our feet. We now know it will happen. It's only a question of when and who the court is going to target next. Okay, uh, the idea that the court has looking for targets, this is, of course, uh, a remarkably diverse court, uh, which now has, what is it? It has uh, four female justices. I think four is correct. As Kagan and Sotomayor and um, 
the uh, new uh, 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 Comey, uh, and uh, they uh, and they also have uh, Katanji Brown Jackson, and uh, that's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the the idea that they are looking to target various groups of people to see which rights they can take away. Uh, with with all of this going on, uh, there's also a certain amount of hysteria that is trying to be combined. Now, I think it's interesting, most of the coverage about this particular story has been from a the British press, from the Daily Mail, but uh, they're very upset about the uh, white supremacy group Patriot Front March on Washington, D.C., and the pictures, the way they're taken with people wearing a uniform of khaki pants and blue shirts and then white masks covering faces, so like you're the invisible man so you won't be recognized, sounds like, whoa, what's happening? Except, guess what? Uh, there were a total of, they estimate, 200 people. Uh, this is not January 6th all over again. It sounded like this. Uh, it clipped. Okay. We will we will get to that, uh, but I, I don't know if uh, George Will was there to see the uh, Patriot Front march. What's fascinating to me is what's going on in this country, because the people with the Patriot Front Front uh, just previously had um, confronted what is claimed to be the biggest gathering of Satanists in history. They had Satan Con in Boston. And how did that confrontation go with the Patriot Front? Well, we will get to that. First up, we have George Will on third parties and the American future. We'll be right back on the Medved Show. Michael Medved. He has control over this world. This is the Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, a great honor and privilege to welcome back to the show George Will, who has been writing a twice-weekly column on politics and domestic and foreign affairs uh, with the Washington Post since 1974, when the earth cooled. And George, I hope you don't mind just thinking about 1974, we were coming up to... Uh, going through the Watergate crisis and coming up to the presidential election of 1976, the centennial election. And that election was a contest between two men, whatever you want to say about them. They were both men of character. Uh, Gerald Ford, the incumbent president in 1976, and Jimmy Carter. Uh, both had very long lives, distinguished careers. Uh, do you... Uh, do you notice a, a, a downward spiral in terms of the character that we accept and, and look toward with our presidential contenders since, well, let's say, 1976? Something, something epical changed in October 2016 with the Access Hollywood tape when we officially buried the pretense, and I'm afraid that's what it turned out to be, that character really mattered tremendously to the American people. Uh, 
they heard Mr. Trump. They heard his. They they saw his character, and elected him. Then they watched him govern for four years and increased the vote for him. He lost, but he he got more votes in 2020 than in 2016. So you you can say there's a kind of hinge in our history with the Access Hollywood tape, but. I, I, I think we, we, we've seen increasingly presidential politics become purely a, a personal entrepreneurial enterprise. Uh, a candidate identifies himself, raises his money, gets his staff. Parties have very little to do with awarding the, the uh, nominees, nominations anymore. They simply provide the frame for entrepreneurial competition. And I don't think uh, we're getting the best. Of course, this is a a timeless complaint. Why in the nation out of 332 million people are we facing a rerun between two retreads who were both been president and disliked by a majority through most of their presidencies? That's an astonishing failure of the political market to supply what people are actually demanding. You raised the question in a recent column uh, about Joe Manchin running perhaps as a no-labels candidate or as a third-party candidate and shaking up that stagnant party duopoly, as you call it. Uh, is that a real possibility? It's a possibility. It's not yet a probability. But here's the, here are the two considerations. One is the Republicans have a very strong candidate against him if he runs for re-election to the Senate this year. That would be Senate uh, Governor Justice, who's wealthy and popular uh, as governor of, of West Virginia. Now, I talked at length with Senator Manchin, who believes he can win anyway. That uh, that will require an enormous number of West Virginians to split their tickets, because Donald Trump carried West Virginia in 2020 by 39 points. Uh, in 2018, in that state, which is deep crimson now, it's not just red, Manchin won by only three points. So it would require an enormous amount of tickets, but he says, I don't know whether he believes it, but he says he can do that. But he, he, he might say, look, uh, do I really want to be 1% one, 1 of the Senate? Can you provide, persuade me that I have a real chance to find in the middle enough independent voters, people disgusted with both parties, to get to 270 electoral votes. There is a group with which uh, uh, Manchin has been, I won't say associated, but he's been supportive of it, called No Labels, that is working to secure by the end of this year, as before 2024 even starts, a place on the ballots for the pres uh, an unnamed presidential candidate in 30 states. If they can get to a critical number of states, 35, 36, whatever it is, where they they could, if they carry those states, they get 270 electoral votes, then I think they will go looking for a candidate. And one place they will look is with uh, Senator Manchin. And the, the idea of no labels is that uh, they would have, if Senator Manchin is their candidate for president, then they would need a Republican as the candidate for vice president. Uh, anyone... That's correct. I, I, I should stress that No Labels is doing this as what it calls an insurance policy, in case both parties 
nominate uh, a president with uh, on the part of Mr. Biden, who a majority of Americans say is not mentally acute enough to be president, and Donald Trump, uh, most Americans dislike. Now, no label says we want an insurance policy in case that happens. We, no labels, hope it doesn't happen. And if either party produces someone better, we will be glad to recede and get out of the picture. But they're they're prepared to be prepared, as it were. I, I it's interesting when you look back at uh, Ross Perot, who got almost nineteen percent of the popular vote uh, when he ran back in nineteen ninety two. And he didn't win a single electoral vote. Uh, which are the states that a Joe Manchin independent campaign could actually win? Well, that's that's the question that would be required of polling at the time. But I should think there would be states in New England, states uh, that uh, uh, in the middle border, uh, Maryland, for example. Now, I know Maryland's a very Democratic state, but Democrats are not enthusiastic about Mr. Biden. So you'd have to look at it at the time. Uh, it, it would be really like drawing an inside straight in poker. There'd be no question. It'd be risky and would require everything breaking right. And it's the only thing you do is if everything has started to break wrong, that is setting up a, a rerun of 2020. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> rerun of 2020 does not appear to thrill the American public, nor is the American public thrilled by the uh, debt ceiling crisis. Do you believe that this is being, that the dangers of a, an American default and not raising the debt ceiling are being exaggerated? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure that the, the people doing the exaggerating believe it. Uh, Joe Biden says two things. A default would be the most horrific thing imaginable, except for me having to negotiate over a proposal that comes from one half of Congress. The House of Representatives has passed an extremely mild, very modest spending reduction bill. The heart of it is to go back in discretionary spending, and by the way, that's about 17% of the federal budget, to take this tiny portion of the federal budget, go back all the way back to last year's spending levels, 2022, and thereafter increase spending, not cut it, increase spending at 1% a year. Now, if that is extreme, and Mr. Biden these days says everyone who opposes him is extremist, if that's extreme, what would moderation be? So it seems to me that, that uh, a tribute to uh, uh, Speaker McCarthy, because he has uh, he's got a very fractious caucus in the House. He got them to agree on a measure and pass it. And now the ball is in Mr. Biden's court. Now, Mr. Biden knows, because he's been on both sides of these things, that presidents usually win in these standoffs. Uh, the president, he doesn't control the media. He doesn't need to control the media. The media is on his side. Nevertheless, it does seem to me that McCarthy has given himself the maximum strong hand. And uh, I think Biden is risking looking foolish if he says the world is going to end if we have a default. But I won't budge on the default. I'd rather have the world end than have a 1% growth of federal spending.
Let's try to prevent the world from ending, which uh, we're well armed with that with George Will. And on the Michael Medved Show, a great honor to be speaking with the one and only George Will. Uh, the most distinguished and influential conservative columnist in American history, and certainly uh, today. Uh, we were talking about, uh, just earlier, George, we were talking about the fact that most Americans tell pollsters very clearly, we don't want a Groundhog Day election, we don't want another duopoly, another binary choice between uh Trump and Biden, we want something different. And answering the call, uh, two Democratic operatives uh, named Doug Schoen, who's been a guest on this show, and Andrew Stein have a big piece in the Wall Street Journal headline, If Biden bows out, Bows Out, How About Michelle Obama? So how about it, George? Well, First of all, it, it does seem to me that politics is not an amateur business. It's a learned profession. And we'd like to have someone as president who's been in governance, preferably as a governor. Executive experience, I think the, the, the being a senator is a terrible training to be an executive a, a president. I have half in jest, but only half in jest, proposed an amendment to the Constitution that says no one shall be eligible to be president if they are or ever have been a senator. Now, if the Senate's a bad place, the East Wing of the White House, where the First Ladies hang out, <laughs> uh, is is really not a, a plausible incubator of presidents. All that she has to be said for, I'm sure she's intelligent and all of that, uh, all that she has to say for is she's famous and has great name recognition. Now, if that's where you start and end, in seeking a presidential candidate, you're going to wind up with some pretty unsatisfactory presidents. I was, she, uh, the other thing that people would point out <clears throat> is that her autobiography is, I believe, still the top-selling autobiography in American history. She has another book, The Light We Carry, an inspirational book that is up there with uh, the power of positive thinking in terms of record sales. She certainly has a following. No question she has a following. Mr. Trump had a following because of his uh, reality television. Having a following is not good enough. The question is a following for what? <laughs> I don't know where Michelle Obama stands on textualism against originalism, Judicial restraint as opposed to judicial activism, um, wealth taxes. I mean, there, there are actually what we used to call issues involved in politics. And we would sort of quiz our candidates to see where they stand on them. Does anyone know? Does anyone care where Michelle Obama stands on these things? Well, again, people should if she is going to be seriously considered. Uh, as an alternative to, uh, to to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, one must say. Uh, what about this morning, uh, Senator Markey and Senator Warren of Massachusetts, uh, aided by Gerald Nadler of the House and Adam Schiff of the House, 
they introduced the judiciary bill, which uh, would add four seats to the Supreme Court. I mean, it's court packing of an extreme nature. Uh, your response to that reform, as it's called, of our judicial system? Well, it's it's a way to treat the Supreme Court as what Warren and the others say they deplore. That is, to turn it into a legislature. Uh, just enlarge it, put your people in there, and wait for the Republicans to come along and enlarge it again. There's no quicker, more, no surer way to delegitimize the court but that, I think, is what people like Elizabeth Warren want to do. They want to drain the Supreme Court of its prestige. They know that, in Hamilton's phrase, the Supreme Court, is the judiciary, is the least dangerous branch because it has neither the sword nor the purse. It relies entirely on its prestige. The Supreme Court, as we know it, has been living off the prestige it acquired in 1954 with the Brown versus Board of Education decision. And the Elizabeth Warrens of the world, now that they don't control the court as they used to, they want to delegitimize it, and that's one way to do it. But remember this. when Right after the 2020 election, I had to write a column saying, oh, God, here's the reasons against statehood for the District of Columbia. Here are the reasons against expanding the Supreme Court. But none of those things have come to pass, nor will they, until the Senate rules are changed to end the filibuster. You might uh, interest you. I said, look, the people who want to turn the District of Columbia into a state should understand that the District of Columbia is only 18 percent larger than the Denver airport. Now, does that sound like a state to you? I mean, we have to think about these things. But it seems to me the, the progressive agenda is now mere gesture. We're not going to pack the Supreme Court. We're not going to make the District of Columbia state, which, by the way, would require a constitutional amendment because of, of the provision for the electoral votes. So anyway, uh, not going to happen. Well, Except one thing that has happened to just... reform America, and I, we were talking during the break, it's one of the things that's uh, good news for our country is the f fundamental reforms with the way Major League Baseball is played. Uh, that's important to you. And it's a triumph, isn't it? It is. Baseball said, look, we have a problem. The customers are not happy. The customers are staying away. The customers say there are not enough balls in play. There's not enough action. It moves too slowly. So they said, good, pitch clock, get rid of the shifts so that uh, two players uh, on each side of second base with their spikes in the dirt as the ball is delivered. Uh, lo and behold... People obey the new rules, and people say, well, gee, I, I like traditional baseball. This is traditional baseball. This is baseball as it was played for 100 years, two-and-a-half-hour games at the most. I was at a game the other day in Washington, Washington Nationals game, an hour and 58 minutes. That didn't used to be considered one of the wonders of the world. Wow. And, and again, it's um, <clears throat> a remarkable and exciting season with... All kinds of, I think everybody in the American League East has a winning record, which is hard to believe. But uh, look, it's it's all e extraordinary. Um, in terms of the uh, most likely nominee for the Republican Party, your Republican Party, 
Uh, do you believe that it will be Donald Trump again? <laughs> Remember, I'm an ex-Republican. Uh, I, I left these, these fellows seven years ago, right before Mr. Trump was nominated. I still do not think he's going to be the nominee. I still think political markets work. I still think that uh, the obvious is obvious, and the obvious is that uh, people don't want that. Uh, beyond that, I, I must say, uh, Mr. DeSantis uh, has been stumbling recently, not fatally, but indicatively he's raised alarms with his signing the six-week uh, abortion ban. He raised other alarms by describing the Putin's war to extinguish the existence of the nation Ukraine as a territorial dispute. So I think people are open. It's just too soon to say this far from my gosh, we're, we're what, eight months from the Iowa caucuses. It's too soon to say that the Nikki Haley's, Tim Scott's uh, can't catch on. Sununu of New Hampshire might step in. Not inconceivable. Yunkin of Virginia could step in. Uh, Chris Christie, I think, is spoiling for a fight. Uh, and I'd expect him to get in. So let's let's wait till we at least know the roster of the uh, of the candidates. Uh, and and again, uh, we don't. You're you're not uh, enamored of uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, I take it. Well, I'm not I'm not unenamored. I mean, I'm for a guy with ideas and passion, and he's got both. Uh, I expect to have lunch with him soon, and I'll get back to you. Terrific. I look forward to it. Uh, George Will, uh, the most recent columns, all of which are gems, uh, are posted at our website at uh, michaelmedved.com. There you can read about George Will's lonely jihad against genes and uh, other issues. Uh, George Will has received the Pulitzer Prize for commentary in 1977. He's also, uh, his, his latest book, American Happiness and Discontents, was released in September 2021. And uh, also, The Conservative Sensibility, still a hugely important book, uh, released back in 2019. Coming up on The Medved Show, Mike Pence is uh, getting ready to jump in. And what would be the basis for his campaign? And who are some of his surprise endorsers? We will get to that and to more coming up in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.